I knew there's a few around. Have a seat, folks. How you doing? Good. What? I want to know somebody's favorite food. What is it? Pizza. I happen to have a pizza plant seed right here. <laughs> Who else has got a favorite food? What? You already have one in here. You're going to get to share some of his. It's a really good one. Who else? What's your favorite food? Tacos. I got a taco plant right here. Okay. Everybody likes chocolate. Now I need the other. What is your food you don't like to eat? Spinach? All right, I got a spinach seed right here. What about you? Broccoli? Okay. Here's a broccoli seed right here. Who wants pizza? Well, we got to make the pizza plant grow. Problem is, all those seeds look alike, don't they? The only thing that's different about them is a little color on them. We can't really tell what's going to turn into a pizza plant and what's going to turn into a broccoli plant. So what we have to do is we have to plant all of these and then when they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow, all of a sudden one's going to have pizza, one's going to have broccoli, one's going to have taco, one's going to have spinach. Then when they're all grown, we can eat them and not eat what we don't want. But we have to plant them, water them, and let them grow because they all look the same and all their, we all their roots are all tangled together. And if you try to pull up the spinach plant, you're going to pull, pull up the pizza plant with it. So you let it grow all the way up, and then you take off what you want. And that's what Jesus is saying to our disciples today. And all these people he's teaching is said, you can't, during this lifetime, tell a lot of times between the, the good well, he talks about it. The people, this people of God and the people who are outside of God's kingdom. You can't really tell. That's God's job, and he'll do it when everybody comes up and grows and it's time to harvest. Okay? Thank you. Well, this is that agricultural part of, the, of Matthew. All we've been talking about is farmers and seeds and harvests and all that other kind of stuff. And I do talk to Pastor Russ every week about what we're going to be preaching on. We help each other out. So I know what he's been preaching with you folks and what I've been doing. So I um, thought we'd do a little something different today. Probably not going to need you to take your Bibles out. Normally when I preach, it's get your Bibles out and we turn to start working through the text. I don't think we'll do that today. Uh, we'll look at this seed and harvest stuff. A little bit different angle, I think. Um, computers. Curse or blessing? How many of us use a computer every day? Yeah. What would it be like not to have computers? 
I mean, I've got three workstations at my shop, two at shop, one at home, for ministry, for teaching, for school, for uh, I don't know what I'd do without it. Am I the only one? No. Emails and banking and bookkeeping and internet. I'm not quite sure without an inter without the computer what we do. It is a blessing. Yeah. On the other hand, <laughs> viruses, scams, security attacks. You know, how many of us, <laughs> the dreaded blue screen of death, uh, how many of us when we see that our computer screen lock up, you, every, what's that feeling that you get when you're moving the mouse and nothing's happening and you're hitting even down to control, alt, delete, you're looking to where to pull. It's not what I'd call a non-anxious moment. I, um, I kind of go crazy. Who can I call right now? I've got to have somebody come out and fix it right now. You know, I'm not the type of person, and I don't know if there many are, who can just sit there and say, oh, well, it's just one of those things. It'll fix itself. I get on the phone as fast as I can. Am I the only one? I imagine a lot of it has to do with how old you are. The most if you're under the age of 25, you probably do sit there real calmly and just click or two. Oh, okay. We're fixed. I was listening to a radio program the other day. One of those call-in shows where you call in for advice on your computer. And the, 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 oh, this lady, she just couldn't figure out what was going on. And the host told her, I know what's wrong with it. All you have to da 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 She said, oh, she could not get it. And he said, lady, he said, ma'am, I know what's wrong with your computer, but I can't get it across to you. Can you find somebody who has a functioning knowledge and understanding of computer systems? He said, I don't know. Where do I find one? She said, you know any high school students? I remember getting my first computer 20 years ago. I also remember the business experts saying, that American society was going to have to learn what to do with all their free leisure time they now had or were going to have because of computers entering the workplace. That a 32-hour work week would be the longest, the biggest, heaviest work week we would be living. Does anybody work less now? The computers have come on the scene? You do? You're the one. I was wondering who they were. Yeah. I don't know. I, um, I don't know. Cursing or a blessing? Computers. You know? Um, are we, is a computer a t our tool or our master? Beth Lewis had a, uh, she's the CEO of Augsburg Publishing, just had a workshop recently. And she said, if you are under the age of 25, you are a native to the world of computers. If you're over the age of 25, you are an immigrant to the world of computers, at which time Bishop Fink stood up in the back and said, at my age, you're a prisoner of war to computers. I don't know, a curse or a blessing. So computers, how does this tie in with our message from Jesus today? Well, Jesus has been traveling around. 
and he's teaching and he's preaching to thousands of people. He's at the top of his game. People are going hungry so that they just make sure that they're there to hear his message. And what does he give them? He gives them parables, stories. And they're looking at each other going, huh? What did he just say? A farmer plants his, his crop and bad guys come and they overseed it with weeds and, and the field hands want to pull up the weeds but the farmer says, no, don't do it because you'll pull up the good wheat too. The, the, the roots are too intertwined. Just wait until the, the grain is ripe and then you harvest and you can separate it or weed out the trash. So then he explains this story to his disciples. Tells them that the First, you can't tell the good plants from the bad, from the weeds. They're all mixed together, and this is the way our life is today on earth, today. Then there will be time of judgment when those that the devil has polluted God's kingdom with will be weeded out, burned up. It's that weeping and gnashing of teeth thing. And the righteous will then shine like the sun. And you can just see it, can't you? Everyone's sneaking a peek around real quick. She's wheat. Oh, he's weeds. Uh, those two over there, yeah, they're a good crop. Oh, those, that group over there, they're, they're headed for the furnace. And the apostles probably think to themselves as well, we must be the good grain, right? But could some of them be the lost? Jesus says the bad weeds are mixed in with the good grain. It's almost indistinguishable. The blessings mixed with the curses. How about here at Reformation? Wheat or weeds? Who's who? Look over there. How about them? Look, of course, what about them? How can we really tell? And of course, it each really comes down to us individually. We look at ourselves. Just what type of plant am I? If you can't really tell until the harvest, how do I know for sure? What can I do? This passage is both a blessing and a curse. I know what I'll do. I'll start avoiding any situation that will bring, bring weeds into my life. Um, I, I'm going to get away from anything that has to, doesn't have to do with the church. Uh, no movies, uh, uh, no vacations, no neighbors coming over. Well, I still see problems with that church I go to. Uh, so, so I'll stay away from everybody but my family. But then again, if I might lose my temper with one of my kids, uh, so that won't work. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just go in the room and I'll, I'll lock the door. And there I'll sit on that stool, but, and there, there I'll be safe, but, uh, oh, make sure I turn off the light. I don't want to be distracted. Great. Here I am. No weeds can get me now. Locked away, safe from the devil in the world. So there I sit, quietly in the dark, alone with nothing but my own thoughts to marinate in. Sound good to you? Or does it sound like what some might call hell that is separated from God and his creation? Blessing or a curse? 
What then can this verse have for us today? We can't run away from the world, yet are in peril when we live in it. Is it gnashing of teeth and weeping? Or is it shining like the sun? Well, we've seen the problem, either or, saved or not, weeping or shining. And Jesus says they'll both look alike, weeds and wheat, the roots all mixed together. little secret here, a little hint between us. It's the way that we look at this that makes the difference. We make a big mistake if we see this as an either-or question, wheat or weeds. It's not about who is saved and who is not. The truth is it's a both-and lesson. Our life, our Christian walk, is full of both good grain and damaging weeds. I mean, really, isn't your life, even at the best of time, always sticking you with a thorn or two in the side? Other times, it seems like we're choked off from God with all of life's troubles. This is a life full of blessings and curses. And there you sit in front of the computer of your life and it feels like you have that questionable window up on the screen. You know the one I'm saying is, should I open this or should I not? And your finger's on that inner key and you're wondering, hit it and you might download that perfect program that'll fix all these problems. Or it might be a fake, a virus that will take over your system. Better do nothing, right? Don't want to be choked by weeds. Better go lock myself in that cold, dark room, right? No, that's not it. To cut ourselves off from God's creation is to cut ourselves off from God's word. Now our words label and describe. God's word creates. We only hear our words. We see God's word in action, creating. Let there be light and there was light. Light where there was darkness before. We too will shine like the sun when Christ returns. We are his creation and his possession. Not because of our works, but by the power of God's creative word giving life where there was no life before. How do we know? How do you know that you're the good wheat? Not by your own gardening skills, but planted in the mind of the divine, energized by the light of God, and nurtured by the living waters of Christ. You were reborn in the waters of your baptism. How do I know? God promised. Not by our own understanding or wishful thinking, but because the God of all creation speaks, and it happens. He cannot be held back. Power that creates. Power that cannot lie. God promised that you will stand in the brilliant light of the sun, and so you shall. In your baptism, you were created anew. Remember the call you heard that day? Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So there we go. We who believe are the good wheat, 
who also have weeds and thorns of this world in our lives. And they're sticking us every day. We are planted by the Lord, watered by the living water of the divine, and will be set out to shine as God's good creation when Christ comes to reign again in glory. Sounds pretty good, but what are we supposed to do with that today? I mean, what's it mean for us? As St. Peter said, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Peter is talking about us Christians, the good wheat, and not making excuses to do evil, not celebrating the weeds of our lives. Live as servants. What is a servant of God? Okay, I'm going to give it a try. But first I want to say, C.S. Lewis said, for the most part, the first 90 pages of the book that lay out the situation, the problem, are okay. It's that last 10% when somebody tries to tell you what to do about it. That's what you've got to watch out for. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm about to give you the end here. I'll give it a try. In my view, the weeds and thorns of this world can be broken up into two opposites. One is to make ourselves gods. We decide what's right and wrong. As Satan proclaimed in John Milton's Paradise Lost, better to stand in hell than to kneel in heaven. Think of how many of the Ten Commandments that, that one covers. Then there's the opposite, not living like a full human being. Part of the last commandment is to not covet people, meaning behaving like they're objects rather than creatures created in the image of God. An example of these type of people are ones who insist on treating dolphins equal, equal with humans. These two types of weeds and thorns, one wants to live like gods and the other wants to live less than human. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think, said it best when he wrote, to paraphrase, that God does not need any more Jesus's thank you very much. The Trinity is full. What God desires is more true Adams and true Eves. Real humans. That's what we were created to be. Not gods, but also not just happy animals. Rather, his special creation, creation formed in the very image of the divine. The weeds of our lives today want to make us less than humans. They almost want to make us like insects. We become compartmentalized. We're like the, the workers in the beehive, you know, those drones with only one job to do. And more and more, we, uh, we each have one job that we're really comfortable in, in that little area of specialization. This is what the world wishes for us. I've been hearing this radio advertisement for increased school spending and funding here in California because business wants better trained employees. It actually insisted that business associations support this effort because more workers will help the economy. That is their goal for education, to create more consumer units. Now, sisters and brothers, I'm not telling you how to vote here. I'm actually in favor of building up education but not to develop economic worker units. I'm sorry, I'll be blunt. This attitude is not from the Lord, but it is a handful of weeds thrown into the field of this world. 
Rather, what does the Lord want? What do we see from the power of the word? We see God's creative desire for the world. We are his special creation and possess this unique creative ability. To be fully human is to be creative. Learning another language helps you to use your own better. Educators all the way up to the beginning of the 20th century knew that learning Latin helped you to develop a clear thinking mind. Like it or not, students, writing essays helps you be creative in other parts of your life. And even if you're an artist, taking calculus helps expand your ability to mentally see and conceive. Christian, simply put, create. It's what you were designed to do. Your life may be full of weeds and thorns, but if you limit yourself to one narrow little existence, you might as well lock yourself in that cold, dark room. When all we do is consume what's put in front of us, in essence, that's what we're doing. You want an example of a life with both good wheat and thorns in a person's life? Just look at King David. The young shepherd who killed the giant Goliath also played such soothing music that King Saul called him in to relieve his headaches. A violent warrior who God would not allow to build the temple, yet was the author of the majority of the songs we call the Book of Songs. The murderer and adulterer who killed his friend Uriah to have his wife Bathsheba, who we read in the Bible is called a man after God's own heart. Good grain and choking weeds. But what do we see in this strong and powerful man? Passionate creativity. Create, Christian. We have the tradition that gave us the world's most beautiful poems, like Dante's Inferno, great architecture, like the Cathedral of Notre Dame, and the sublime music of Bach, whose compositions are marveled at for their mathematical brilliance, yet can reduce our hearts to tears. And Bach, who began every piece of his music he wrote with the opening words, Sola Deo Gloria, to God alone the glory. Friends, the weeds and thorns of your life will dry up and blow away when Christ returns. Don't let them choke you today. We hear our words with our ears. We see the result of God's word in everything created around us. Be creative. It's what you were designed to be. Make music. And I know I'm literally preaching to the choir here at Reformation. It's okay to watch TV, but put on plays, even if you do them poorly. And I'm starting to take dance classes tomorrow night with my wife. And she may need to wear steel-toed shoes, but it's better than just sitting at home watching Dancing with the Stars. Read, and more than that, write. Now women, just if you'd please tune out for a minute, I'm going to talk to the men. And this may apply to you, but it's not polite to talk about who you're not. So I am a man, a husband and a father, so I'm just going to talk to men. Men, if you don't write your wife love poems, you are an ingrate. 
society said 100 years ago. Listen to this battlefield letter from the Civil War. My very dear Sarah, the indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. Lest I should not be able to write to you again, I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye when I shall be no more. I have no misgivings about or lack of confidence in the cause in which I am engaged, and my courage does not halt or falter. I know how strongly American civilization now leans on the triumph of the government and how great a debt we owe to those who went before us through their blood and sufferings of the revolution. I am willing, perfectly willing, to lay down all my joys in this life, to help maintain this government, and to pay that debt. Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence could break. And yet my love of country comes over me like a strong wind and bears me unresistibly on with all these chains to the battlefield. The memories of the, the blissful moments I've spent with you come creeping over me and I feel most gratified to God and to you that I have enjoyed them for so long. And hard for me it is to give them up and to burn to ashes the hope of future years when, God willing, we might still have lived and loved together and seen our sons grow up to honorable manhood around us. I have, I know, but a few small chains upon divine providence, but sometimes whispers to me, perhaps it is the wayful prayer of my little Edgar, that I shall return to my loved ones unharmed. But if I do not, my dear Sarah, never forgive, forget how much I love you. And when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. Forgive my many thoughts, faults, and the many pains I have caused you, how thoughtlessly and foolishly I have been at times. How gladly I, wash, I would wash out with my tears every spot of your happiness. But, O oh Sarah, if the dead can come back to earth and flit unseen about among those who live and loved, I shall always be near you. In the gladdest days and in the darkest nights, always, always. And if there be a soft breeze upon your cheek, it shall be my breath. As the cool air fans your throbbing temple, it shall be my spirit passing by. Sarah, do not mourn me dead. Think I am gone and wait for thee, for we shall meet again. This is the way whole men wrote and lived and fought a hundred years ago. Christian men. Killed in the first battle of Bull Run a week after this was penned, Sullivan Ballou was buried in his native Rhode Island. With his wife, Sarah's remains next to him now. And I doubt if his tombstone reads, here lays Sullivan Ballou, a darn good lawyer. You see, with all the weeds and thorns of the time past, they did not have our present day lack of creativity. They tried to live as whole beings, head, heart, and hands, passionately dedicated to influencing the culture for Christ. 
You see, they saw that to live as less than a fully creative human being formed in the image of God was to literally deny the incarnation of Christ. Christ, this divine second person of the Trinity, fully God, came to earth fully man, like me and you. He had a body which was, with which his soul was fully integrated. He was a man of passion and a man of intellect. So much that the Dr. Dallas Willard of USC calls Jesus the smartest man who ever lived. To embrace only passion and experience leads us into one type of a heresy, but to become only cold, dry knowledge leads us to another. Jesus is both the creative power of God become flesh, the Word, the Logos, the divine intellect becoming walking, talking, breathing man of passion and action. To allow our souls to be choked off from our full potential is to turn back our back on the incarnation. Strong words, but to allow ourselves to compartmentalize and just become consumers of a culture is to live in thorns and let our good wheat lie dormant. Sisters and brothers, the Word became flesh and lived among us. The creative power, the divine logic took on human form and from, from then on all matter, all energy, space, time, poetry, music, caring and living a full human life became a divinely noble enterprise because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did it, lived it, and enjoyed it himself. I know we all have weeds and thorns in our lives that entangles us and threatens to choke us. Look instead at the power that gives life. God's word creates and you were created in that image to create. We Christians can uniquely affect our culture because our Lord became one of us to lay claim to this world. He came to this life of wheat and weeds. He became flesh and blood and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen.